0: Be benefited today as we worship our Father in heaven and as we study from the Word of God. If you have any Bible questions, uh, please do not hesitate to let us know. Love to have a Bible study with you. Uh, this is something that we strive to do here, to teach the Word of God, preach the Word of God, and to share with others. What does the Bible have to say? What does our Father in Heaven want us to know? Before we begin in just a moment here, I just want to say it's good to be back home. Uh, I had one last gospel meeting uh, this past weekend in Roseville, Michigan. Had never been there before and uh, had actually planned it back in 2015, so I appreciate the shepherds here uh, giving me the opportunity to go there and to... Uh, uh, to preach there. It was a smaller congregation, about 60 members, but uh, full of love, and uh, it was just a good time to be there. And it really is a small world. It's amazing to see how many connections there are, uh, obviously, in the body of Christ and people that know one another. So it is great to be back home. Don't have, to, uh, don't have any more gospel meetings until next March. And so uh, there's much work to be done here. And uh, looking forward to the great things that we already have going on here. Well, if this is your first Sunday here with us, uh, what we have done this past uh, month of September... Is a series of Bible questions or a series of lessons uh, answering Bible questions that people have. And so we began the first Sunday in September of this month. And we began looking at different questions that people submitted to us. And we're beginning to wrap things up here. Uh, I'm going to be preaching tonight, looking at a variety. Bible questions. And then, Lord willing, in the month of October, uh, there are still some questions we were not able to answer. And so I want to try to put some sermons together for the evening services where we can go a little bit more in depth uh, with some of the questions. Now, we're going to be talking about questions from Genesis or about Genesis. And this morning, we have seven questions. Do not fear. We won't be here till two, okay? Maybe one, but not two. Seven Questions uh, from the Book of Genesis. People are like, "No." All right, so we're going to answer all seven of these questions this morning, and so we're going to move a little bit fast today. Uh, the questions are really good, and then, Lord willing, tonight we're going to answer seven more questions. So we'll look at fourteen questions uh, total. Want to encourage everybody? Uh, share this with the, uh, with your friends, with family members. It's on our website. Uh, people have questions. Some of these questions congregation. Uh, but uh, many questions came from, from people in the community and other places. So uh, be sure to share these questions. Uh, this will be available on our website. And also go to our website. A lot of new things there. Cody has done a great job with that website. And I uh, really appreciate his work. So in Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 1, listen to what Moses wrote here as he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's how the book Genesis begins. It begins by speaking about God. The book of Genesis is an amazing book. It's one that we need to read and one that we need to read often. Uh, This is the book that we can turn to and must turn to to see what happened in the beginning. We don't have to guess. We don't have to kind of be blind to the fact of how everything began. The Bible makes it clear how everything began. And it's where we can turn to to find out just how valuable we truly are in the eyes of God. The book of Genesis is one that we can turn to to see the importance of the home and to see the importance of marriage. And it's one that we can turn to to see the devastating effects of sin. That's where we can turn to see what the whole Bible story is all about. The things that we read about in the book of Genesis are true and we need to believe them. Jesus believed what was recorded in the book of Genesis. We don't have time to read all the verses, but in Matthew, 19 verses 4 5 and 6 as jesus was speaking about marriage he went back to genesis chapter 1 and genesis chapter 2 have you not read what was written in the beginning a god made male and female well god has joined together let no one let no man separate in matthew chapter 22 and verse 32 jesus said i am the god of abraham isaac and jacob when that's pointing us back to the book of Genesis, we read about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the book of Genesis. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus referenced the flood and the days of Noah. Jesus believed the flood story and he believed the things that we have written in the book of Genesis. And whether it was Paul or Peter, they all believed the same thing. They believed what was written in the book of Genesis. Look over in Second Peter chapter three real quickly here as Peter was wrapping up his second letter to the saints. And I want you to notice this real quick Hear what Peter said in Second Peter chapter three, verse number five and verse number six. Second Peter chapter three, verse number. Let's start in verse number three. Peter said, "Know this, first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust, and saying, where is the promise of his coming?' For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation." For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. So you see how Peter went back to the book of Genesis, the flood story with Noah and the events that took place there. My point is very clear. Peter, Paul, the other apostles, the brethren in the first century believed what was written in the book of Genesis, and so did Jesus, and therefore we need to do the same. And so we want to look at some questions that come from the book of Genesis. And so let's begin our study by first looking at Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. Here we go. Question 1 is this. Are there two creation accounts in Genesis? So we read about the creation account in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. Sometimes that can be a little bit confusing. Sometimes people may say, well, are we, are there two different creation accounts recorded for us in Genesis? The answer to that is no. As we look at this answer here, it's important to understand that Genesis chapter 1 is going to be more broad in nature as Genesis chapter two is going to focus more on the events pertaining to man. So let's talk about that a little bit. We know we don't have time to read all of this, but in Genesis chapter one, we get the details about what God made on day one and day two and day three, four, five, and six. And we see at the end of Genesis chapter one, how God uh, made man. In verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, and he created them, we get this information about man. Now, Genesis chapter two narrows in a little bit more just on the details concerning the creation account regarding man and woman. In Genesis chapter two, in verse number seven, the Bible says, and the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being." And so, as we look at Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two, it's important to understand a couple of things. "...that these chapters do not contradict one another." And there is no conflict between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Rather, they complement one another. Now, there are some differences. When you read chapter 1, you're going to find additional details or more details about everything that was created. So there are some differences, differences between the two chapters. But that does not mean that there is a contradiction between the two. Rather, we need to think more about the purpose, about how these chapters were written. And so when you look at Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2... I think that purpose becomes a lot more evident that you have this broader picture of events in Genesis chapter one. And and then you have more of an emphasis of of man in chapter two. And so these chapters are really going to complement one another. Go back to Genesis one and verse twenty six. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so we read this account there. Uh, how God made man in his image, uh, and that's true. And yet we get some additional details in chapter 2, as we just read, and verse number 7, as God breathed life into man after forming him from the dust of the ground. And so these additional details just give us more information about what took place during that time. So there's no contradiction. Uh, or discrepancy between Genesis 1 and Genesis chapter 2. I think that's the big thing that I want everybody to understand. Now, you could look at a lot more examples in Genesis 1 and 2, but just understand that these work together. They complement one another as you're reading these two chapters, and that will help us to make sure that we're staying on the right track. So no contradictions between the two. Just while while there may be differences between them, does not mean that there is a contradiction, all right? So that's question number one. Question number two takes us to Genesis chapter 6. Look over in Genesis chapter 6. Uh, this is a great question. This is a question that a lot of people have. In verse number 2, we read about the sons of God. And the question is, uh, who or what are the sons of God that are recorded for us in Genesis 6 and verse 2? So let's just look at verse number 1. Now it came about when, God, or when man, men began to multiply in the face of the land, and daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. When I was in Roseville, I woke up super early, and I found a YouTube uh, Bible study that someone was talking about, Genesis chapter 6, and there are really two views that people have regarding Genesis 6 and verse number 2. Some believe that the sons of God is referring to fallen angels. And we'll talk about that here in a little bit. And others believe that these are referring to men from the godly lineage of Seth that began to interact with these other women and and were led into wickedness. And so let's talk about that. I think those are the two biggest views that people have. Now, I'm going to stick closely to my notes because we have a lot of ground to cover, so I don't want to get off track here. Um, When you look at Genesis 6 and verse 2, that phrase, sons of God, then you look at verse number 4, When Moses spoke about the Nephilim, many believe that, okay, this is talking about fallen angels or these powerful uh, spirit beings. So let's talk a little bit about this. I think context and harmony will help us to come to the right conclusion as we try to answer this question. Look over in Job chapter 1 and verse number 6. In Job chapter 1 and verse number 6, what I want to show you here is that we do see the phrase sons of God, and it certainly seems to be talking about uh, angelic beings. In Job chapter one and verse six, as we're introduced to Job, we see that uh, there is a time where it says the sons of God came before uh, came before. Lord. Look at Job 1 and verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. This is part of the reason why some believe in chapter 6 of Genesis that sons of God is talking about angels. You find these sons of God presenting themselves before the Lord. Look at Job chapter 38 and verse number seven In Job chapter 38 and verse number seven. Remember when God had this conversation with Job, Job was trying to find God and God finally spoke to him and he's going to ask him a series of questions. Where were you when I created all of these things? And we find this phrase sons of God, as God was speaking about what took place in the beginning. He said in Job chapter 38 and verse 4, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements since you know, verse 5, or who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, look at verse 7, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. And so that phrase, sons of God, certainly seems to be pointing to this idea of angelic beings as well. And so many believe that when you go back to Genesis chapter 6 and verse 2, that certainly that is speaking about fallen angels who had relations with, with women. We find additional information about uh, angels in Second Peter chapter 2. 2 uh, Peter chapter 2, and I want you to notice in verse number 4. And again, I'm giving you these verses here because many times these are verses or passages that people go to. To, to prove this argument that these were uh, referring to fallen angels. In Second Peter chapter 2, and verse number 4, listen to what Peter said here. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, so we know that some angels sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. So people will often turn to this passage and the fact that it's connected to verse 5 and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. So many people are quick to say, well, see, that's talking about Genesis 6 and verse number 2, and that these sons of God certainly were referring to these fallen angels. Then there's one more passage. Look over in the small book of Jude. It's only one chapter right before the book of Revelation. Jude, verse number 6. and Jude, verse number 6, Jude is going to speak about angels here as well. Jude verse number six, the Bible says, And angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode. So we get some additional details about some things that angels did. He has kept an eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. And so all of those verses there, and you add that term Nephilim, which is found in some other passages, like in Numbers chapter 13, many people believe that the sons of God in Genesis 6 and verse 2 is referring to fallen angels who had sexual relationships with women and and created these giants in the land uh, and the things that we read about uh, back in Genesis chapter 6. Now, I don't believe that sons of God is referring to fallen angels, okay? Okay. Um, it is an interesting study and there's a lot you could really do. Um, as you think about this, uh, but I think the sons of God uh, is referring to men and not angels. And let me give you a couple of reasons why, and I want you to write these verses down. Let me be very clear. We've already some passages about angels. So we know that angels are real. I believe in angels. The Bible speaks about these, these spirit beings. You look at Hebrews chapter one and verse number 13. uh, We know that angels indeed are real in Hebrews chapter one and verse 13. The Hebrew writer But to which of the angels has he ever said? So we know that angels are real. And in verse 14, as he spoke about angels, he said, Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service? for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. That's some good news for us what the angels are doing. And we don't know completely of everything that they're doing. So number one, I want you to notice that angels are real. Secondly, though, I think Jesus shed some light on this question so we can have a better understanding. Look at Matthew chapter 22 and verse number 30, Matthew chapter 22 and verse number 30, as Jesus was speaking about the resurrection and Matthew chapter 22 and verse number 30, listen to, what he said here. Matthew 22 and verse number 30. Jesus said, for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. So I think Jesus is helping us to see that we're going to be like the angels when we go to heaven. And so this idea of even marriage back in Genesis chapter six and verse number two, it says that the sons of God married the daughters of men. I think that poses a problem If we say that the sons of God uh, were these fallen angels who had interaction with men. And so I think what Jesus says here helps to shed some light. Furthermore, when you go back to Genesis chapter six, the emphasis is upon man. Everything in Genesis chapter six, the emphasis is upon man and nothing is referenced with respect to fallen angels or anything like that. Look at verse one. Now it came about when men began to multiply, all right? Uh, The sons of God saw that the daughters of men. In verse number two, look at verse number three. The Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever, all right? Uh, Verse number four speaks again about the daughters of men and how they were mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Verse five, when the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great. All throughout this, this is talking about man, And it has no reference with respect to uh, angelic beings at all. I think there's something else that we need to consider. The flood destroyed all mankind except for eight souls. If these sons of God were angels, it would be hard for them to be destroyed by a flood as well. uh, In the fact that they are spirit beings. Not only that, but the phrase sons of God is often used to refer to men. In Deuteronomy chapter 14 and verse number 1 we find this phrase being used here to refer to man. In Deuteronomy 14, in verse number 1, the Bible says, You are the sons of the Lord your God. And so, sons of God. And used to also refer to men. And I think that's how it's being used in Genesis chapter six, talking about men and not angels who uh, were maybe transformed into a fleshly body in the Genesis account. And then finally, the, the thought or the idea of sons of God uh, referencing the descendants of Seth, uh, this goes back to Genesis chapter four. In Genesis chapter four, after uh, Cain killed Abel, uh Adam and Eve, they would have more children. And we know of another one named another son named Seth. In Genesis four and verse twenty-five. Adam had relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son, and named him Seth. For she said, God has appointed me another offspring in place of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth to him also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. And so the idea of the sons of God referring to this godly lineage of Seth stems from Genesis chapter four, that the men began now to call upon the name of the Lord, but yet in the process of time, they would begin to engage in wickedness and the interaction that they had with those that they married. Now, that's a lot of information. Uh, And if you have more questions about that, uh, let me know. But I think the phrase sons of God, it's hard to say that that's talking about fallen angels who had these interactions with women and then were ultimately destroyed. I know some people believe that, but this is my understanding. And that phrase Nephilim, uh, speaking about, just speaking about those great men of renown. And we see that in Numbers 13. When the Israelites went into the land to spy out on the land, they saw these, these giants, these mighty men. And I think that's the emphasis that, the, that Moses was speaking about men and that this doesn't have anything to do with fallen angels now if you have questions please let me know so that's question number two let's look at question number three question number three takes us to genesis chapter 11 what happened to the tower of babel so let's look at genesis chapter 11 the tower of babel we need to understand is it was uh, was real and what we read in genesis chapter 11 uh, we need to Now, we don't have time to read the entire chapter, but let's look at verse number one, and let's read a couple of verses. The Bible says, now, the whole earth used the same language and the same words, and that's going to answer a couple of more questions. It came about as they journeyed east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone and they used tar for, uh, for mortar. They said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Verse 5, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. The Lord said, behold, they are one people. And they all have the same language, and this is what they began to do, and now nothing with purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth. Excuse me, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. And so we get some details uh, about what happened. Uh, This is a historical account. And there's nothing in here that should tell us or that should make us to believe that this is something that did not happen. Everything in here in here is historical in nature. And details about the land of Shinar is given. We read about that in Genesis chapter 10 and verse number 10. Uh, we read about that in Daniel chapter 1 and verse number 2. And we also read about that place in Isaiah 11 and verse number 11. This was a real place, and so that's something that we need to hold on to. And even the details about how the tower was built, I think, gives credibility to the story. Uh, How they would make bricks and burn them thoroughly, and how they used brick for stone in verse number three. And so as we look at the story, there's a couple of things to keep in mind. Uh, It it really did happen. Uh, It's a historical account. And what we find is that God stopped the Tower of Babel from being built. And we know that the people were trying to build this. This was their goal because that's what the text says. Now, the question is, uh, why? Uh, Why was God upset? Uh, And why did he decide to destroy uh, the Tower of Babel? Uh, I think there's one uh, good answer. And that is that, remember what God told Adam and Eve back in Genesis chapter 1 and then also Noah in chapter 9. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 28, the Bible says, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. This idea of being fruitful and multiplying is something that the Lord wanted. Adam and Eve to do. After the flood, look at Genesis chapter 9 and verse number 1. The Bible says, and God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so when you go back to the, the story of the Tower of Babel, we see everybody all in one place trying to build the city and building this, uh, this, uh, this tower. And I think you could even say some things about pride too as well. And so the Lord stopped all of this from being built. Now, Uh, There are some other references to the Tower of Babel. And uh, Josephus, and I've mentioned him in some previous sermons, uh, was a Jewish historian. And let me just read what he said here. He says, quote, when all men were of one language, some of them built a tower as if they would thereby ascend up to heaven. But the gods sent storms of wind and overthrew the tower and gave every one of his peculiar language. And for this reason, it was that the city was called Babylon. And that is from the antiquity uh, antiquities of the Jews. And so we find references of the Tower of Babel and other sources as well. Uh, for the sake of time, there are some other references that we could use. We just don't have time. So what happened to it? Well, God eventually, he, he stopped the tower from being built and individuals were going to be scattered and so uh, that's the information that we have regarding Uh, the Tower of Babel. Now, the next question uh, I think is connected to the Tower of Babel. Uh, What happened beyond confusion of languages? It's an interesting story. And the main thing I want to just focus on, this is question number four, so we're more than halfway through, is that we do have information about languages. That's what the text says, that up until this time, That there was just one language, and we just read the story, and what and what Moses wrote was that as a result of this tower being built, eventually God is going to scatter the people, confuse their languages, and so from there you're going to find uh, many uh, different languages. And I believe this should be taken uh, literally—that there was up until this time one language. Now, some have said, "Well, wait a second. Look back in Genesis chapter ten and verse number five. It appears that before the Tower of Babel, there already multiple languages. So how do we reconcile this? Well, look at Genesis 10 and verse number five. The Bible says from these, the coastlands of the nations were separated into their lands, everyone, according to his language, according to their families, into their nations." So people say, well, this sounds like this happened prior to the tower of Babel. What do we understand? How do we, how do we reconcile this? Well, the Genesis, parts of Genesis 10 and are not necessarily in chronological order. And I think a figure of speech is being used called prolepsis, which means to speak before, where Moses wrote about these multiple languages in Genesis chapter 10, and then gives us the full story in Genesis chapter Eleven, we actually find uh, that even writers in the New Testament would use this type of of writing. Look at John chapter eleven. I just want to show you an example of uh, this idea of, of prolepsis, and I think that's what's taking place there back in Genesis ten and Genesis eleven. Remember in John chapter eleven. Look there quickly in John chapter 11 and verse number one. We're going to read the story of Mary and how she anointed the Lord with ointment. In John chapter 11 and verse one, I'm showing you this because I think this parallels with with, uh, Genesis chapter 10 and Genesis chapter 11. The Bible says, now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now watch what it says. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment. And wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So we see Mary anointing the Lord with ointment and wiping his feet with her hair. Yet that event did not take place until John chapter 12. Look at John chapter 12 and look at verse number 3. John chapter 12 and verse number 3. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume a pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume so as John spoke about this event in John chapter 11 the event did not occur until John chapter 12 now i'm saying all this because i think it will help us to understand that while we see multiple languages in genesis chapter 10 uh, that Moses is simply just explaining how all this came about in Genesis chapter 11 as he dove in, into more details. And so uh, I, if I understood the question correctly here, and I'm kind of focusing more on on, uh, on the languages, uh, the Tower of Babel was the beginning of, of different languages, and then the people were scattered. They initially all had one language, and then as a result of what God did, the individuals would be scattered. And so that's what we read about uh, in the text there, uh, with respect to languages. All right, let's look at, uh, another question. I think this comes from, uh, the tower of Babel as well. Uh, what about the idea of races? What about the idea of races? And it's important to understand that the Bible doesn't use language that we typically use whites, blacks, White race, black race. We don't, you know, we use that type of language, but the Bible does not use that kind of language. What we find as people are being uh, described, we find phrases like nations, tribes, tongues people. Look at Acts chapter 10 and verse 34 and 35. Remember when Peter went to the household of Cornelius and Acts chapter 10 and verse number 34 and 35, uh, Peter was Jewish and the other Jewish men went there. Cornelius and his household, they were Gentiles, which means that they were not Jewish. And as Peter is preaching in Acts chapter 10, verse 34 and 35, he said this, opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. I, I read that verse because I just want you to see that as he spoke about individuals, he described them as, as, as the nation, but in every nation, the man who fears him. So as we think about this question uh, of race or what about races, i think it's important for us to number one understand there that in the scriptures there does not seem to be an emphasis on the color of skin Or pigmentation. Rather, the emphasis is made that we all come from one God. Look at Acts chapter 17, and this is something important for us in the world to remember that we all come from the same God. In Acts 17, as Paul was in Athens, in verse 28 and 29, listen to what he said here. Acts 17, 28 and 29, the Bible says, For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his children. Being then, the children of God that all of us uh, obviously come from the Lord and earlier in this uh, in this sermon that we read about in Acts chapter 17 look at verse number 26 Paul is also going to emphasize that we all ultimately come from one man. The Bible says, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on on all the face of the earth. So that becomes important as we think about this idea uh, of races, that we all ultimately come from God, that we all began with Adam. And so the physical differences or varieties that we see I think we could say probably began at the Tower of Babel based upon the different environments that people found themselves in after they were scattered. So again, I think the Tower of Babel uh, will, point, will go back there to help answer questions like that. So the Bible doesn't use language like, like white or black people. Uh, I think the differences would have began there as individuals were scattered okay that's a that's a lot of information uh but that's my understanding all right the next question is pretty easy where did Cain find his wife that's easy eHarmony.com all right next question all right that's not true uh but I saw that on the internet and I really loved it I had to use it okay so I wish I thought of that myself uh so this question I had to <laughs> uh, reword a little bit differently uh, the question went like this back uh, speaking on Adam and Eve Were there any other people created after Adam and Eve? Meaning this, if a man traveled to find his wife, (laughs) where did she come from? Uh, So eHarmony.com is the easy way out, but that's certainly not biblical. So in all seriousness, let's let's, uh, address this question. There's another question wrapped up in this, and then we will... Uh, wrap this up. Number one, when we think about the Bible, the scriptures, the Bible does not give us every single detail about what what has taken place in history. We all agree with that. Not every single detail is given to us with respect to what has taken place in human history. Number two, it's important to understand that Adam was the first man created and that Eve was the mother of all living. Look at Genesis 3 and verse number 20. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 20, the Bible says, now the man called his wife's name Eve because she was a mother of all the living. So Adam was the first man created. Eve was the first woman created. And so there, there weren't any other individuals who were created that we don't read about. All came from Adam and all came from Eve. And as we answer this question, And then we we have to say that Adam and Eve, they they must have had, and we know that they had more children. Uh, After uh, Cain killed Abel, we already read about Seth in Genesis chapter 4 and verse number 25. Now I want you to turn over to chapter 5 and verse number 4. In Genesis 5 and verse number 4. The Bible says, then the days of Adam, after he became the father of Seth, were 800 years. They lived for centuries and he had other sons and daughters. Well, who were they? I don't know. The Holy Spirit has not revealed that. But what we do know is that he had other sons and daughters. And so what can we conclude? Where did Cain find his wife? Remember, Cain was going to be cast out. We can conclude, and listen carefully, that in the early stages of human history, marriage between kinsmen was not deemed immoral. And so he would have married uh, someone from, from the lineage of Adam uh, during that time. And so we don't have every single detail of history. All human beings came from Adam and Eve, so there's not another creation story that we're missing or someone else that was created that we don't know about or read about. And so he would have married someone from his family. Now, I know when people hear that, they say, wait a second here, I got some problems with that. What about genetic issues and what about this idea of uh, of incest and things like that well there are a couple of things to think about Uh, with respect to to genetic issues and uh, things like that remember that during that time people were living for centuries out of time 700 years 800 years 900 years Uh, and so it it was not as much of a problem as it would have been obviously now uh, and in, in later periods of time secondly I think there also needs to be the distinction when you look at Leviticus chapter 18, turn over to Leviticus chapter 18. Leviticus chapter 18, uh, There, there's a list of violations uh, of, uh, from God uh, that the people under the law of Moses were not to do uh, when it came to certain sexual relationships. Uh, they were to avoid uh, certain relationships. And this whole list here is really pointing to uh, with this interaction between blood relatives. And verse six, none of you shall approach any blood relative of his to uncover nakedness. I am the Lord. You should not uncover the nakedness of your father. That is the nakedness of your mother. She is your mother. You are not to uncover her nakedness. Verse 8, he speaks about fathers. Verse number 10, he speaks about children. Verse number 11, he speaks about sisters. He's going to talk about aunts and daughters in laws, and he goes on and on and on. And so while there is those, uh, while these commandments are given to uh, the nation of Israel under the law of Moses, we don't see that. That being prohibited in the days of Adam and Eve and during that time. And so while it's it's hard for us to kind of fathom that, uh, during the days of Adam and Eve, number one, there was something that was totally different. The fact that these people were living for centuries. And I think there's something... To be said about that even with the conditions of the bodies and things like that uh, before everything would change. And so it is important to note that when we get into the law of Moses, we see that this is prohibited, that there are laws against this and certainly under the law of Christ as well. And so that question is really two questions. Uh, where did Cain find his wife? He would have married someone uh, from his family uh, marriage between kinsmen at that time. Was not unlawful. Now that's the best that I can do. Uh, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. Uh, The things that have been revealed belong to us. Deuteronomy 29 and verse number 29. So those are the seven questions. There were six, and then I just kind of rolled in the last one. Someone had a question about incest and things like that. Uh, We see this prohibition in the law of Moses and certainly moving forward, but prior to that, I think that's how we answer that question. Now, uh, I love answering Bible questions, and and maybe for some, uh, you know, these questions are pretty intriguing, and maybe you have more questions. Um, We could go on and on and on. I want to end with this. Questions are good. There's nothing wrong with questions. But at the end of the day, we also have to make a decision about what we are going to believe concerning Genesis. There's so many other questions, Right. No, I was surprised no one asked, did Adam and Eve have a belly button? No one asked that question. So I'm not going to answer it, okay? But we have to make a decision about what are we going to believe. The stories that we find in Genesis, we need to be very serious about this. These things really happened. And I know people sometimes will kind of mock and joke around. Well, you can't really believe these things to be true. Well, but there is sufficient evidence for us to know that these things indeed are true. In the beginning god that lays the foundation for everything that we read in the rest of the bible and so the question i've answered questions so now i want to ask you some questions (laughs) question number one is this do you believe god is real the god of abraham isaac and jacob do you believe he's real you will have to answer that question we all will question number two i want to ask you is this do you believe that you were created in the image of god That's what Genesis 1 and verse 26 says, that we are created in the image of God. We're more than just flesh and blood. Our bodies are going to go back to the dust of the earth. But there's a part of us that's going to continue to live on forever. Question number three is this. Do you believe that sin is a big deal in the eyes of God? Adam and Eve, they sinned in Genesis chapter 3. And we saw how significant that was in the eyes of God. But do we believe that sin is a big deal in the eyes of God? And then question number four is this. Do you believe Jesus is the way for you to be forgiven of your sins? In Genesis chapter 12, as God was giving promises to Abraham, in Genesis chapter 12, we have a sneak preview of what was to come in the new covenant. He said in verse number three, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And when we read the New Testament, We know that this is speaking about Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you believe that? Do you believe what you read in the Bible concerning God, sin, and your need for a Savior? If you say yes to that, then great. And if you say yes to that, will you act on your belief by doing what Jesus said? He who believes and is baptized shall be saved do you believe that we hope and pray that you do if we can help you come now as we stand and as we sing